Welcome back to another episode of Your Pretty for a Podcast. Um, this week, Salma sadly can't join us, so it'll just be me and Aman. I'm one of your hosts, Saba. And I'm Aman. This week, we're um, talking about a, a topic that's not often discussed in our communities. Um, and we just kind of want to start the conversation on it a little bit. Um, and we're going to talk about environmentalism, but more specifically, intersectional environmentalism. And mm. um, Which, we... to be honest, is never really spoken about. Well, no, I've, it's not. I've never spoken about it in like my community, my culture, growing up. And, do you know what? Not even in school, to be honest. Do you remember speaking about it in school? I don't. I mean, I was part of the recycling club in school. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I, I didn't even know there was a recycling club. club. There was, Iman, and I was part of it. And we used to go around the school and <laughs> put out recycling bins. That's really and cute, not going to lie. that everyone recycles and giving everyone really lame leaflets about recycling. That's really cute. And encouraging to do it at home. Me and Sabah went to the same school, by the way. So you can tell you can tell well, who Sabah was and you can tell who I was. <laughs> yeah, man, we, yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, I think it's a, an important issue that, I mean, we discuss it as friends, I feel like, you know, briefly every now and again, but it's not really something we ever really delve into deeply. And there's so many factors when we're talking about environmentalism that it can get a bit overwhelming in terms of recycling or talking mm. about um, vegan debate and like talking about how to be more, you know, um, a better advocate for climate change and like discussing you know the different things that are happening in the world to do with it Um, it can get a bit overwhelming I think especially when we're delving into like um the science aspect of it and we kind of just avoid it and we just kind of think of it as ignorance and bliss but as we were discussing me and you before even recording this episode um even if you don't know much about it it is something worth researching and discussing and kind of um you may not know everything but it's not something you should avoid Mm, Uh, and I think you know what you said really hit home because it's like growing up it wasn't something that was spoken in my household it wasn't something mm -hmm. that I was that familiar with um I wasn't really familiar with it when it came into school and it wasn't until a few years ago that I became a lot more conscious and a lot more environmentally friendly with regards to what I'm doing my behaviors my social behaviors what I do in and outside of public what I do in and outside of my house so it's it's yeah I think and do you know what annoys me as well this is what I was saying to Sabah earlier is that I feel like people too often feel as though they can't speak about certain subjects because they feel like they're not as skilled or not as knowledgeable or haven't studied science or haven't done in-depth research. At the end of the day, we need to start making these types of conversations normal in our social circles and start having these conversations with our elders as well. Like I know there's certain people in my community that are older that, you know, that have got so many different responsibilities. And don't get me wrong, I understand that climate change is a massive class issue as well you know we're not taught about it particularly in my communities anyway and where I've grown up because there's so many different stuff that's going on in the world that's way that's way more important you know like being able to feed your kids so I get it you know I completely understand that but we also need to recognize that we live in a day and age where the way we live cannot continue because we're going to end up in a world that is are not livable anymore yeah whatever is happening 
to the wider world is happening you directly whether you live there i don't live in antarctica i never plan on going to antarctica however when i see the glaciers falling down you have to admit that the summers have been hotter certain things are happening in our environment this is not we don't need to be scientists to recognize these patterns and to see okay x equals y and y equals z when we're talking about pollution when we're talking about increased amount of cars on the road when we're talking about all of these different issues when we're talking about governments trying to implement you know way more cycle lanes this is that and the other do you think that it just comes from nowhere of course it comes from somewhere so the fact that we feel as though we can't engage in these conversations because we're not well versed when it comes to you know being well versed scientifically or whatever it may be is completely incorrect and it's completely you know not founded upon anything so yeah i i think that our cultures and our communities really need to start talking about this and it's interesting when you say because i don't actually know what intersectional environmentalism, uh, environmentalism is well I, I think i have an idea but it's not a it's not a term that i'm familiar with nor a term that i use i've heard of intersectional mm-hmm. feminism yeah but obviously i that, that's kind of like where i base the premise of my reasoning as to what intersectional environmentalism is or intersectional Mm -hmm. climate change but it's interesting because it's like we do have to break it up climate change is not universal climate change climate change doesn't affect each community the same way around the world yeah no you're completely right and intersectionality this is like um it's a theoretical framework of understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities might combine to create modes of discrimination and privilege and it does connect to environmentalism like it Mm. is something that crosses over and intersectional environmentalism as a definition um it's an inclusive version of environmentalism that advocates for both the protection of people and the planet it it identifies the ways in which injustices happening to marginalized communities and the earth are interconnected it brings injustices done to the most vulnerable communities and the earth to the forefront and does not minimize or silence social inequality intersectional environment environmentalism advocates for justice for people and the planet Mm. yeah i think it's really important to note that the between the crossover of um climate change and global warming and developing countries and how the two are you know affected by one another Mm. and it was that um it was the website uh called intersectional climate change right or intersectional environment yeah intersectional environmentalism yeah and it kind of as well it was interesting how they broke up like Latin America, Southeast Asia, North America. Like I, I just didn't realize that it was actually a thing. Yeah, because it's different in every single country. It's, but not only is it different in every single country, it's different in every single community in different cultures. There's certain cultures naturally that that have or place more credit on things like recycling um you know vegetarian or veganism i have thought about in the past about other cultures being more aware of these issues than we are Mm. in in our own cultures and in our own communities but i didn't think that you know it was actually a theory well i think it is it does cross over with it being a kind of a race issue when we're talking about colonization when we're talking about indigenous people that had their lands you know pillaged and taken over and 
you know, completely ruined to what is now unrecognizable of what it was then. Mm. Um, when we're talking about um, you know, environmentalism, I think we really focus on kind of, oh, uh, banning plastic straws, how to eat organically or how to do this, how to do this, very on the surface things and not realizing that mm. there's a massive kind of um, problem that goes way deeper that is not addressed as often but we need to start having conversations about how global warming and pollution are direct results of western um colonization imperialism and the greed of like large corporations Mm. but for some reason we're placing the blame on like individuals and for eating meat and using straws and it's like this is a much bigger problem Mm. did you know that the most polluted road on europe in europe (laughs) is uh marlborough high street no, not Marlborough High Street, Baker uh, Street. Is it Baker Street? I thought it was uh, the crossover between Edgeware Road and Marble Arch right at the end. No, nope, 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 nope. It's Marlborough. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's it's Marlborough Baker Street. It's that, it's that, the road where, Madame, the road where Madame Sussles is. No, it's not. Well, they want to pedestrianise Oxford uh, Street. They've been wanting to do that for years and they just keep delaying it. And they it's don't. not they keep delaying it. It's very difficult because if you, if for anyone who isn't familiar with Oxford Street, Oxford Street is a very popular shopping um, road in Lon- in central London. The reason why you can't, well, not you not you can't, you can, but the reason why one of the main reasons why it's difficult is because of public transport. So you've got mm. loads of bus routes that go down there. The problem is, is if you pedestrianise that, you're going to have bus routes that go down the back roads, such as if you are from London, you'll know like Wigmore Street, all around those back roads. And you're going to have way more increased congestion, way more increased traffic, way more increased pollution. And it's just going to be a complete write off. And that's a, a, a very important route for a lot of buses to cross over into the south because they use that. A lot of buses use that road to go over on Costa Bridge. So they go, they right. use it to go down to Southwark and that side and then cross over into South London. Um, and then, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really difficult to implement. Let's just put it that way. Because yeah. they were thinking about potentially doing trams. But okay. again, there's just too many, there's too many bus routes to be, that, that's just one of the massive, massive, massive um uh, problems with trying to do that because obviously as well you've got a lot of the elderly that want to shop on oxford street disabled uh, you know any kind of community that can't walk from marble arch all the way to tottenham court road will want a means of trying to get from one side to the other you know and not everyone can cycle and everyone can you know we don't know yeah yeah um, and you see, like, now in London, especially in our generation, I feel like it's, like, becoming something that people are a lot more passionate about. And, like, mm. there's never been this many number of people turning into vegans or turning into vegetarians ever. Like, this has been the highest number. Mm. And and if it is a trend, it's a, an amazing trend. It should happen. And I think, uh, you know, groups like Extinction Rebellion have, like, really created that kind of wave of change it kind of reminds me of like the 70s hippie movements of like when people were coming out and like really advocating for change we kind of have the similar setup now Mm. and when they were blocking all the streets in london for their protests which you know in theory was incredible and it was like uh i support 
them as a group I followed them but there is a there is a point where I feel kind of disconnected from it as well because I do feel like they're very kind of um a lot of them are very white middle class Mm. um and the things again that they fight for it's very on the surface and they don't kind of um include everyone else the you know mass amount of care and the mass amount of rage people had and that came out and actually managed to create so much change and literally stopped london for i can't remember how i think it was for a couple of weeks stopped the running of london um and other cities in the uk they continued it um it it would never have been nothing like that has ever happened with any other kind of uh, mass change that's needed to happen in terms of you know uh, wars or famine in other countries that's been going on or really big um crises that are happening in the world no one has come out in that way for that Mm. and so it I can't help but feel as a person of colour to feel kind of um, just not as involved because I'm like, okay, we've been having these issues. We've been having different kinds of issues to this. This isn't my priority. Mm. My priority is like people who are being killed back in my home country for, you know, human rights violations and stuff. The environment, the environment is a big issue I care about, but POC communities have way bigger fish to fry Mm. in terms of like um, what we care about and it's like how do we you know how do we create this um, rage of um, you know this um, this awareness and this care to be advocates and to create a change um, with also feeling like our voices and our our problems are being cared for. Our problems are being seen. Mm. I think that, you know, you say... I don't know that. Yeah, no, it does. It makes sense. And mm-hmm. I think that you say a really valid point, um, you know, when you mention about us having bigger fish to fry and us having, you know, way more different problems because we do have a lot more different problems and we have, you know, different issues that arise on a daily basis when it comes to POCs, when it comes to you know at the end of the day we're just trying to fight for human equality first Mm. so let us get that and then we can start talking about the environment so how can I be lecturing and badgering on about little individual things such as recycling and you know as I mentioned before people are genuinely you know struggling between feeding themselves or feeding them feeding their children so if there's if there's people that are coming with these types of issues and these types of problems and these types of traumas and these types of you know everyday irregularities within their household and outside of their household how dare i start to now come and lecture them and badger them about the environment exactly yeah i think being a white person you have the ability to kind of disconnect and i'm not i'm generalizing again here but you you're not obviously as connected to these movements of like what's the crisis in Yemen or what's yeah, they don't affect in Palestine. Them. It doesn't affect you, right? Directly. You don't have family or you're not, you know, it's not your religion or whatever. So there's a bit of a disconnection. And so your primary issue that's in front of you is environmentalism. And it's an important issue to fight for, don't get me wrong. But not you can't approach a community, a POC community, and say, hey, come, let's, you know, let's protest, come join Extinction Rebellion, let's try and be one, and let's try and all connect, 
when our our issues and our like problems back home that's what we are currently fighting for that's our main humans are dying you know yeah at the end of the day there's nothing more important than human equality yeah and 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 i i challenge anyone to come and disagree with me on that so it's gonna take a long time but in conversations around you know recycling and meat and all of this kind of thing that goes in it's not just a you know a poc communities that neglect that it's a major class issue as well in the uk Mm, massive class issue because there's you know you say that you know as a poc we resonate with certain struggles that are different to white people but then you've got white people who are not middle class who also cannot afford to be thinking about the environment and cannot afford to be thinking about pollution about climate change yeah they're, when they're you're thinking... thinking about when you're thinking about your next meal exactly, exactly. it's not so it's not, not it's not feasible but it's they're... interesting you bring up food though because i feel like for me like I've been thinking about veganism, being vegetarian for a little bit, altering my diet, not drinking mm. cow's milk for a few years. And yeah, it, it, I mean, it went back to secondary school. I was I was vegetarian for a year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. I do. Um, it was longer than a year. Well, it was a year, and then it went into pescatarian. Yeah, I, as I, I went slowly went. Yeah, place. and um, I don't really know why I'd done it at the time. I think it was just a thing that I just wanted to do, and it was yeah I just wanted to try it and it was just a change but now when I think about veganism it's not fueled by climate change it's not fueled by the environment it's fueled by the the actual food and the harmful food that I'm putting in my body I'm just trying to restrict the amount of GMO that I eat I mean that's a whole separate conversation I know but I just you know we live in an urbanized area we live in an overpopulated city so of course, naturally, you're going to have food that's pumped up with all of this yeah. bullshit. But that is an environment. Yeah, it, it is. Well. You're right. But but the my motivating factor isn't because of the environment for me to mm. become vegan. My motivating factor to become vegan is because I don't want it inside my body. Do you know what I mean? But, but I, why but, shouldn't it be both? No, it should be both. And this is what I'm saying. I need to change my mindset and my mentality. So now, right. when I'm talking to people who are thinking about thinking about becoming vegan which by the way people are genuinely thinking because they want to put better food into their body and they're becoming a lot more well-versed when it comes to what they are putting in their body you know what's been put in all of these fruits and veg Mm. and this stuff isn't even real and even down to the even down to the water that we put in our body Mm. so it's it's a conversation that needs to be had with regards to environmentalism too so that's something that I'm trying to be more conscious of and be more aware of when I am talking to people when it comes to changing their diet let's start putting this in the conversation as well mm-hmm. and let it not you know I feel like I'm very selfish when it comes to discussing food and when it comes to you know what I'm consuming I'm genuinely making those lifestyle choices because of me not because of oh, it's really bad for the environment for us to be, you know, overgrowing these foods and making way too much food and having, you know, loads of food waste and all of that. Like, I don't think about those things first. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to start changing that. And I want to start having those conversations. And I want to start being more conscientious when it comes to making those decisions. I want to stop thinking just about myself. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I remember even when I was vegetarian, 
I used to be like, oh no, I'm not vegetarian because of the animals. I'm vegetarian because of her of health. Like when I would be yeah. speaking about it in terms of like our communities, because it was such a like, and we're talking the we're talking about this like maybe like six seven years ago, because it was such a like a taboo thing to be vegetarian in our community. Mm. And Sorry. if you and if you're um you know if you say you you're doing it because you care about animals or whatever, it was just seen as really silly. And it was just seen as like such a, like a dumb issue. But, yeah, but if it was for your health, it was seen in a much better way. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But why shouldn't it be something that you care about? That you know, it, it is a massive issue. But that, then, um, but then, okay, look. So this is where I'm going to disagree with you now, yeah. Because when it came to when I was vegetarian in school when I would go to Morocco and when I would go to my auntie's house and if I mentioned that they would look at me like I was crazy but 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 I understand why they would look at me like I'm crazy because the food that they grow they is all natural exactly yeah it's all so it's not it's not it doesn't come from overpopulation it doesn't come from urbanization it doesn't come from contamination i do not see a problem personally with me eating meat in for me personally if i have if i have a piece of meat every couple weeks so like twice a month in moderation for me that is fine personally and I do not see a problem with that mm. as long as it is in moderation as long as I'm not pump as long as I'm not eating a chicken that's got three heads and and 20 legs I'm okay and I know and I know in Morocco well this is okay this is where it differs so the part of Morocco that my mum's from is a very small town and I know that they don't have food like that I know it's not yeah. it's not pumped up food because it's a small town. It's a limited population. It's a limited amount of food. There's not you know comp- there's not a lot of food waste. It's it's quite an environmentally well, yeah, healthy place to live. Every single bit of that cow is, used is to eaten there. exactly. Whereas for example, if you go to Marrakesh, if you go to Casablanca, more urbanized areas, I'm more conscious of what I'm eating, and I am less likely to eat meat. I am more likely to eat fish or take the vegetarian option because i am more conscious of the fact that they are trying to overfeed because they have an overpopulation issue so the meat there is mass produced so exactly so so if i am now going to the small town in morocco that i'm from and talking about environment they're going to be like what are you talking about yeah they won't deem it as important because it doesn't exist no there it isn't doesn't. the environment. There is an environment and climate change issue, but not when it comes to food. And that's what we're talking about here. So mm-hmm. food, like when we're talking about food and climate change and the result of, you know, so many different, uh, uh, you know, governmental factors, it's it's does has to be intersectional. It can't just be one blanket fits all. Because in the UK is different. Go outside of London, go to a small town. Again, you're going to get Your completely meat is gonna different be clean. produce. Yeah, Your meat yeah, is yeah. going to be clean. Your fruit and veg is going to be clean. It's probably not going to have that many pesticides on it, if any at all. Your grapes are all going to have seeds in it. Yeah. Stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it does depend on where you live. And unfortunately, we just live in a highly dense area, highly populated city where this is our food. Even if you're vegan, even if you're vegetarian, you're still gonna, you know, consume something that you shouldn't be consuming. 
Mm. As opposed to, I would rather be a meat eater in a small town in Africa as opposed to a vegan in the centre of London. Facts. Because vegan burger, yeah, from Tesco, and it's packed with a load of rubbish to 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 make it taste just like meat or yeah, to preserve yeah, 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 it in yeah. a my way and it's vegan. full of it's full she's of bs been, my sister's vegan she's been vegan for almost four years and the preservatives and the gmos and all of this stuff that are added to it to her burgers and to all this it's more unhealthy than eating a clean meat mm. burger because they've had to pump so much stuff in it to make it taste like meat I mean, yeah. you can get like you know uh, more healthier options or whatever. And to, honestly, to be ve- like, I tried, I tried to do like a month vegan every now and again with my family. My mom does it for her health, and you know, it's actually not as difficult as people make it out to be. Yeah, no, my auntie she became vegan. It's genuinely yeah, my and sister's that came from. That oh. was that was because of health. Um, uh, you know different health issues her health issues have massively massively improved as a result of her diet change my dad my dad also my dad suffers from different health issues as well changes in his diet you know not drinking cow's milk um uh, certain vegan options so, and my dad's a chef as well so he knows what good produce is and what and what bad produce is so the fact that he made that conscientious effort when it came to his health and his diet like I'm seeing him educate himself and he has educated himself over the past few years do you know what I mean mm. because of his health but like I said and this is what I was saying earlier it comes from a selfish point of view first yeah as opposed to thinking about the planet as a whole the wider planet yes yeah i get that i understand that um an interesting fact i don't know if this will be you know relevant but i mean not so much a a fact more than a thought but there's a this thought that when you're consuming meat you're consuming like the animals like being tortured like going through that death and you're consuming that within your body and you're like taking in your consuming that bad energy you are and and you're no that's true that's true that's not that's not a theory that is a fact because you're you're consuming all of if if you're eating a cow yeah if that cow has had a bad life and it's gone through trauma it goes into their hormones you eat those hormones when you eat those hormones it affects you because you're eating abnormal hormones when you have that, it affects your mood, it affects your blood, it affects so many, which is why people with different underlying health conditions take out meat altogether because there's no guarantee that that animal has had a good life or a good life enough to not transfer all of those energies into us. Mm. This is a fact. Exactly. This is a fact. Your, your mood will completely change. If you cut out meat, processed meat from mm. your diet, your mood will change 1,000%. One thousand percent. It's just convenience. No, I agree. I agree, and I think it, in that kind of spiritual aspect, that's a way that I've seen in a lot of people and kind of in my family that when I've discussed it with them, they kind of take it more on. They kind of mm. understand that aspect of it a little bit more. But that's why I was saying earlier as well is that I think before I realized that there was an actual term for different cultures taking this um issue head on is when i brought up a buddha for example a buddhist monk 
mm. in my eyes, who doesn't eat meat, in my eyes is more environmentally aware and environmentally conscious as opposed to a uh, Moroccan in, you know, uh, a town who is completely clueless when it comes to the environment and the the negative effects mm-hmm. of our consumption yeah because of culture but because maybe because they are more spiritual maybe because they feel more things maybe because they're more in tune with certain you know spiritualities and different spiritualities are more important not saying one is right or wrong not at all but what i am saying is that certain cultures have had leeway on this and have been pioneers of this Mm. and have been doing this and have been advocates of this for hundreds and hundreds of years yeah yeah and that's definitely something to take into consideration we have a lot to learn from them in terms of spirituality and in terms of really understanding our body and you know our science is well i mean i say i was going to say our science is nowhere near developed where we can understand that fully but it probably is they're just not releasing the information but that's that's another topic for another day um but yeah no we don't have enough information with regards to that transfer of energy yeah but i can feel it yeah no. You when can. i stop eating meat i can feel it can. so what is that it must be something and when, it's not just me yeah when i've cut out meat for a while and when i eat good quality meat i taste the difference you know that mm. this tastes completely different and it 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 does again it goes back to it being a class issue of like like a family here yeah if, uh, absolutely they're and... not going to be able to seek out grass-fed you know uh beef or whatever they're they're gonna they're gonna go for the kfc bucket and they're gonna get that because it's cheap and it's quick and it's you know it feeds and it fills you and so and there's always that you know like you know if for example if you're going home and you want it in mcdonald's or whatever and your mum says there's rice at home or there's food at home like home cooked food is always gonna taste better always like it's i always say like my mom always used to say home cooked food is the best and i used to be like no let's eat out and because there's that there's that excitement do you know what i mean eating out was a treat for us eating out was you know so i associated eating out with you know being treated being uh, you know having a a nice time i didn't associate eating at home as a treat do you yeah. know what i mean yeah. so you know but i mean there's a whole other agenda, government agenda, in my eyes, when it comes to fast food and having that as a cheap option. Um, there was a documentary on Netflix called What the Vegan. I'm sure it was called What the Vegan. No, and there's else. there's so many associated um, uh, charities. So, for example, the Heart Foundation um, funds McDonald's. So obviously, naturally, you're going to have adverts that come up on your TV that says, oh, you know, eating meat for this amount of times a week is really good for you. But it's sponsored by the Heart Foundation. And and this is in America, by the way. Mm. And that foundation is a medicinal company that profits off of people being sick from heart conditions. Do you understand? So come on, let's not be dumb here. Let's not be stupid. We understand that there is a massive multi-billion pharmaceutical industry that is profiting from us being ill and from us not understanding the truth for example yeah, dr cb much, much dr cb dr cb who died who was basically um he was uh i think he was plant-based actually and yeah. i think he was raw plant-based and he nipsey hustle was talking about dr cb before nip uh died and he was going to do a documentary on it interestingly enough nick cannon said that he wanted to continue that and wanted to continue 
um, Nip's documentary on Dr. CB and on remedies um, and all of that. And obviously Nick Cannon's just been dropped by Viacom because of his comments, which I'm not going to get into, obviously, because it's a different topic. But it's just interesting because it's all of these people that want to talk about these things. I want to talk about natural ways and natural remedies and talking out about, you know, how bad it is to consume all of these fast foods and all of these th- this food that they say that is good for you and it's pumped and it's just fast and it's just greasy nasty oily crap all of these people are just getting dropped like wildfire it's interconnected I mean, I mean we've seen that a lot that again like you said that's a whole nother topic but as soon as someone speaks out about something that's like worth speaking out about that doesn't benefit them and it actually goes against their agenda um you see you see something weird happening something happens yeah yeah so that that's not surprising in the slightest but would you how do you feel about like um obviously morocco um you know they're one of the first countries that banned plastic bags they're very you know that was like a massive um a massive massive deal Mm. well i mean okay so before before i kind of get into like morocco at a broad level, yeah, just so that I can kind of, you know, introduce some economic terms for people to understand, is that there's four types of market failures, yeah? So you've got externalities, you've got information failures, you've got public goods, and you've got natural monopolies. So when we're talking about plastic bags, when you've got government intervention on consumption of single-use plastic bags, because you've got three different types of plastic bags, you've got disposable single use and reusable. Mm. So when we're talking about government intervention um, on this, the consumption of single use plastic bags and because of littering and all of that, at the end of the day, it harms social amenity and it negatively affects our environment. So when we're talking about, you know, people who are going to clean up the litter on the street, who is footing the bill? The government. Who has given money to the government to foot that bill? Our taxes. We are. So we are paying people to pick up the rubbish that we drop on the floor yeah do you know what i mean and when people start realizing the economic cycle when people start to understand the economics of it and start to see that it's literally so interconnected maybe people will stop littering maybe people will stop using plastic bags because it literally does not make sense for me to drop something on the floor and then i pay someone to go and pick it up it doesn't make sense there was a survey in 2017 by the Marine Conservation Society um, and it was on a uh, British beach. There was like a massive campaign called the Great British Beach Cleanup. Yeah, um, I know. And for, for every 100 metres on the beach, they found 718 pieces of litter. That is almost 1,000 pieces of litter. I don't know if you saw um, in... Uh, quarantine when people were going to the beach. Did you see the pictures? Yeah, after, of course. After, of Bournemouth, it was honestly it like made me feel disgusting. It was catastrophic. Like it was an embarrassment. Yeah, that people like, especially like being in a pandemic, you'd think people would be more thoughtful and more caring about like I don't know, just their space. You know, this is the first time they've been allowed out in but how can you not clean up after yourself you would you would think that they would clean up about after themselves that they would care a little bit more that it's created a bit more empathy um but but it doesn't no it it doesn't and turtles for example um commonly found on british beaches and uh, a lot of beaches a a large part of their diet is jellyfish yeah Mm. 
Turtles cannot distinguish between plastic bags and jellyfish. Mm. Yeah. So if jellyfish is part of their diet and they're consuming plastic bags, that causes internal blockages and it results in a lot of deaths in our wildlife. Our marine wildlife, yeah, just in Britain alone, is so poor, is so negatively affected by people littering. Something that has been known for a long time in terms of like we get this is information that is constantly being spread like that is the simplest form of caring for the planet that you can do is just to not throw your rubbish around facts like even regardless of beaches like if you throw your litter on the ground as you're walking it affects everything mm, it affects not, everything it, and when you when you think about look these are negative externalities and it's caused by different improper displacements of excessive uses of single-use plastic bags, yeah? And and I don't know if you know about um, how we kind of dispose of our plastic bags, no. but one thing that... what Well, one method that we use in the UK um, is we burn them. Okay. So when we burn... that I mean, there's two different types of plastics, but... There's a burning of polystyrene polymers. Now, these are things such as foam cups, meat trays, egg containers, yogurt, deli containers. The burning of that plastic are set at very, very, very dangerous levels. So when you burn that plastic, yeah, it releases a gas called styrene. Now, this gas can be readily absorbed through our skin, our lungs, everything. When, that, when we're exposed to that at high levels, which we are, that vapour can damage our eyes, our mucous membranes, our whole nervous system. Long-term exposures of that styrene gas as a result of us burning all of these plastics lead to affecting our nervous system, headaches, fatigue, weakness depression this is all scientific facts we live in one of the most polluted cities where this happens regularly there is so much styrene gas and we don't even know it this is in our air we are constantly inhaling it constantly in us like constantly consuming this Mm. and it's causing different issues that people are oh Oh, you got anxiety. Oh, you got depression. It's because of this, 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 and this. Oh, but it's not about the styrene gas that you've been burning all of that plastic from. Yeah. And people don't realize that we need to start taking other things into account, including the environment. It's all full circle. Yeah. It really is all full. And the thing is, if plastic isn't burnt, it isn't disintegrated. So if it's not disintegrated, you've got different negative externalities, such as it affecting our marine life, our environment contributing to the global problem of poorly managed waste all of these so it's like it's a catch-22 it's like okay so we're trying to eradicate the problem of you know littering and and the negative externalities that it causes outside of that but also if we burn our plastic it it releases this gas which we know isn't good and i don't know initiatives like um you know putting a price on plastic bags and things like that i mean it is it has reduced the consumption of plastic bags people are buying it less but you still have the bag for life which is plastic. no but it's it's not expensive enough i it, think that not, i think I the agree, price needs to go up 
enough. And not just that, we need alternative options and like we need other solutions for it. We can use paper bags. I, I get we're in a, you know, we're in a country that rains a lot and like it's maybe not as effective to have a paper bag or have a biodegradable bag that, you know, disintegrates with water when it rains and whatever like that. But we need something, we need some sort of solution for these things because it's well, not a sustainable solution to continue with it and just increase the price of it. Well, before I go into Africa, um, which I want to talk about a little bit, mm. um, but three, actually not three years ago, four years ago, the UK was exporting, well, in terms of how the UK gets rid of its plastic bag waste, yeah, so yeah. part of it is burned, part of it is just kind of put in landfill, but four years ago, the UK was exporting half a million tons of plastic bags to China. That accounted for almost two, almost two thirds of our waste was was sent to China. Imagine using plain fuel, yeah, yeah that's to, exactly to, what I was going to say. To send over two thirds of our plastic waste, but but after that, so that was four years ago. Then China imposed a foreign ban. So they imposed a foreign ban of countries sending over their waste. Obviously, China gets paid for it. Yeah. So now the top three countries that we send our plastic waste to is Malaysia, Turkey and Poland. So Malaysia now, because obviously China imposed their foreign ban, Malaysia now receives more waste than it can dispose of. A lot of it is low grade and a lot of it ends up in landfill, which is dumped in impoverished communities, um, you know, way more harmful than us dealing with it here or different Western countries dealing with, dealing with it there. Do you know what I mean? Not only is it that when they are in these impoverished communities, in these small towns, it's accessible to young children, babies, where plastic bags can be of danger, like there's rogue recyclers that burn the plastic, which not only is it harmful to marine wildlife, but what I was saying about the styrene gas. So imagine you're sending it to these countries mm. and they're putting it into these impoverished communities where it's bad anyway, plastic just as it is. And then on top of that, you're burning it. So it's literally like a double whammy. So it's like a, it's like a two-ended sword. And, it's, and it's, it comes to a point where it's like, okay, why are we not banning this? Which is interesting because that's why I want to talk about Africa. Because in 2002, Bangladesh actually was the first country in the whole world to ban single-use plastic carrier bags. Yeah. Bangladesh. Then afterwards, it was Africa. Yeah. Kenya, interestingly, Kenya has the most stringent laws when it comes to plastic bags. And when it comes to uh, uh, plastic bags being illegal there. It's... it's I don't know if you know this, but in Kenya, it's so illegal that if you are caught with plastic bags, you could be fined thousands and thousands of of, of pounds. But well, not our pounds, but obviously their equivalent. But if you are seen as, um, or if you are a company that manufactures plastic bags, the laws are so stringent there that you may even face jail time for wow. plastic bags. Yeah. Which is crazy. Um, and now you've got uh, 16 countries in Africa. It's, it's the most densely populated group of countries that have bans on single-use carrier bags, which is incredible. Africa is, is the only place in the world where it's so strict on plastic bags, just in general. Um, it makes you Morocco. Think... Sorry, go on. 
but it makes you think how bad was the problem before that caused well it was it was uh interestingly so you know morocco is not a big country at all yeah morocco is tiny morocco was the second largest user of plastic bags in the whole world who was the first the united states of america that's crazy when you compare the size of Morocco. Exactly. The so US. the fact that Morocco was using that many single-use plastic carrier bags was second in the world when it came to the amount of plastic bags that they were using and disposing of but is th- crazy. But this is where I get angry and I, like, again, bring up why intersectional environmentalism is so important because Morocco was a colonised country. Mm. you know plastic bags were brought into morocco that wasn't a natural way of things of you know how to carry items around it was it's not a even a way that is more you know an effective way of carrying things this is Mm. something that was brought into the country and created such a massive problem that caused this to cause the country itself to reverse cause the government to take such major action yeah, I know what you mean. Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. But it, unfortunately, it's a problem that we have to deal with and we exactly. have to face. So it's 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 unfair that we have to deal with those problems, even though we didn't bring those problems in ourselves to begin with. Mm. Um, but Morocco introduced biodegradable bags. So, yep. you know, they've been in effect since... But, mm, I mean, it probably became a ban in 2016, but they've been in circulation since about 2012. Yeah. Maybe even earlier than that, but... From what I can remember, when I used to go to Morocco, like it's 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 been like that for the best part of ten years. Let's put it that way: biodegradable bags. I remember when um, I went to Morocco, I was like, I was shocked that there was no plastic bags because you just don't think that you know. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because obviously I know saying third world country is not politically correct, but it's no. almost like a third world country with first world solutions. Exactly, um, and that that's what I used to describe it as when the then- when when they first introduced that policy. But then uh, the bags in Morocco, uh, it's a first world solution, but that kind of the material that they use, it does disintegrate with water. Mm, mm, it's mm, not mm, a solution mm. for a country like the UK, where yes. you can't carry a plastic bag like that because with our wonderful weather, that will be destroyed. We can't carry, we seconds. can't carry. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I used to watch American movies, when I used to see them have paper bags, I used to get so jealous because I yeah, really wanted, yeah. I really wanted a paper. I just used to think like, you you know, you would just see like these, these, you know, all white American middle class families that would come in with their paper bag groceries I really wanted to live that life (laughs) I really wanted that but even places now like Whole Foods and like you know more like organic supermarkets and things like that they do paper bag I don't know if it's more expensive to produce recycled paper carrier bags I don't know the kind of facts about that but I don't know but I feel like a lot of it comes down to like education Exactly. Um, and, and even down to like, you know, consumers budgeting for the added expense of a plastic bag, taking that into consideration. Take, like for me, sometimes I forget, even still to this day, I sometimes forget. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even yeah. gonna lie to you, yeah. I'm not even gonna front. But sometimes if I know I'm, but that's only if I go in on a whim and I don't know that I'm going out shop. If I know I'm going out food shopping, I'm taking my trolley. Yeah. 
regardless of how dumb I look, yes, yeah, I'm that girl no, no, with the no, trolley. Because I'm, I'm thinking of the word in Arabic. I don't ever call it trolley, so I was imagining like a supermarket trolley, and I was like, Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> no I didn't, I didn't steal a trolley <laughs> from Tesco. I know, you mean. I, no. know which, I know which kind of trolley you mean. Yeah, I um, go out like I, uh, and if it's not that, no, and I always have not... a tote bag, the foldable tote bags, or even those foldable bags in my you know handbag or in my yeah. backpack wherever I go like I always always have one in case I need to go to a supermarket and buy something I'll take that in and like there are loads of initiatives of like how to kind of reduce your waste there are people who live like a waste-free lifestyle who you know it, it's so interesting to see our relationship of how we like consume things so easily like we don't even think but like the more waste we're producing that is like increasing our carbon footprint and it's like Mm. there are little things you can do day to day that you know really reduce that i went and bought a um straw a metal straw that i carry again with me when i go to places because do you not think there's a weird taste no i think if you you know i think it's fine i don't i just feel like there's just a taste of metal yeah i don't know I mean, the you... I don't like. No, do you know what it is? It's not there's a taste. I know what I don't like about it. I don't like the feeling on my teeth of the metal. But then, how do you deal with like cutlery? I like, don't know. I think it's, it's a mental different. thing. Yeah, but it's things like that, like carrying like your own cutlery, like making sure you, you know, you when you go for a, get a coffee, like use your own. Um, use your own do you think we'll live in a world where we'll need to start carrying our own cutlery? Yeah, and my mum already does that. My mum's been doing that for years. Really? She hates plastic. No, 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 not plastic, as in, like, to a restaurant. No, no, oh, no, yeah, no. To a restaurant, it's different, because that's... Washed, yeah. That's getting washed. Oh, plastic... To be honest, I don't remember the last time I used plastic cutlery. Yeah. No, like, if, you know, you're going to a picnic or whatever... No, no, I don't use plastic cutlery. But But I feel like I don't really see that anymore. I feel like if there is any cutlery that is given it's usually wooden yeah now that's been changing yeah. but even then you're still producing waste yes yes i agree when, day, when you don't need to be producing waste, waste. you don't need to yeah. create that waste when you yeah. have these options people don't understand that these are things that have been brought in like if we're looking like what 40 50 years ago you would get your milk cartons brought to you to your door and mm. it'll be in your a, a glass, glass. Uh, a glass uh, jug, and then like you wash that out, and then you put it back out, and then it's all very. But even in even in Morocco, yeah, I mean now it's like plastic bottles. But you know, back in the day in Morocco, you know, if you would have like Coke or like Fanta or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, same in so Iran, what, I know what you're gonna say. So what I remembered is you would go to the shop, you would buy um your 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 drink in a glass yeah. bottle, yeah, and then you would take it back to the shop. Mm. and they would fill up crates of glass bottles and yeah. they would send it back and they reuse yeah. the bottles and it's so mad oh my god i'm thinking of it now but it's like it's why so mad the solution you know Sorry. there are places i just had a, i just had a moment you know like even if you think about like our shampoos our makeup stuff like that makeup especially do you know how much waste that creates when you get stuff delivered the packaging that comes in all of that that's waste all of that is so much again increasing your carbon footprint by a massive amount and there are like now they're like popping up uh, in different places but there's like waste free kind of supermarkets so you have like your 
uh, jug or your bottle or whatever and you just go fill up your shampoo there's like different brands and you fill up your shampoo in it and you can like use it oh my god that's so cool and then you and just probably so weigh it better. exactly and it's like so much cleaner and it, they weigh everything and everything there is like sustainable and like we need to kind of bring back solutions like that we need to bring back um they have there's a supermarket that does that with like um cereal like it's a whole exactly. supermarket and yeah exactly. you, yeah and it, it's stuff like that like that's how it used to be back in the day and because we're used to we're we used, consumption yeah and we're used to everything being plastic wrapped preened pre-packed pre this pre this pre this like everything everything you know medicated everything is everything has to be shiny everything has to as long as as long as it looks quickly like right exactly no one wants to wash out their shampoo um bottle and like go to the supermarket fill it up themselves weigh it and then pay for it no you just want to one click amazon buy and it comes subscription for you every month your shampoo but the packaging that comes in all of that that comes in we really need to the delivery driver the petrol the petrol in the truck the this the everyone who's like listening to this to look at people who live waste-free lifestyles now i'm not saying to go to that extreme and live a completely waste-free lifestyle where they show you in a year the whole consumption fits into one plastic cup or like one tiny little bag or it goes into their hand for a year right so it's not something that's impossible. And I'm not saying to go to that extreme, but to take ideas of that and implement it into your own lives, everyday lives, these are such simple things that you can like be more conscious of and be more aware of and mm. just live simpler and like more minimalist, not be so consumed by capitalism and not be so consumed by exactly what you're saying, shiny things and to be overly obsessed. And it's conversations we should be having in our communities. Again, if it's overwhelming for you to delve into it in terms of uh, climate change and like global warming and all of that, and you feel like it's too scientific or whatever it is, take it in small doses. Look at like, you know, vegan and um, meat eater debates and things like that. Look at people who live the waste-free lifestyle look at the effects of milk um from cows and like hormones and things like that look at how you can take things and implement it into your life in small doses and create smaller changes discuss speak about these things in your family if you don't recycle look into how you can and i don't know slowly just start to be more conscious of these things Yeah, I think that, you know, what you said, I completely agree with. And it's just about, you know, starting those conversations similar with what what we've been saying for the past few weeks with what's going on in the world. And it's just starting to change culture and starting to change the way we view things and, and just educating ourselves. And it starts and ends with education. As with everything, it starts and ends with education. Mm. Um, and it's just you know being a bit more well versed when it comes to the economics of climate change and as you said you don't need to be a scientist none of what we've discussed is scientific none of what we've discussed we're not scientists I've I've never studied climate change neither have you we come from completely different backgrounds when it comes to discussing these issues but it, they need to start being at the forefront of our social conversation and I feel like it's not I feel like it's not cool enough to talk about climate change or it's not it's not it's not the done thing to say it's not the it dumb is. thing to start talking about because people zone out 
people yeah. aren't interested and people are gonna start getting interested when you realize you can't leave your house when it's 45 degree weather because of what we've done with climate change but then it's going to be too late so let's start having that conversation now while we still can let's start making changes now while we still can and start making conscientious efforts going forward and i think with everything that we discussed like the biggest biggest thing uh, factor is that it's not educated properly in schools maybe it's changed yes i'm sure it's changed now than when we were in secondary school iman but Mm. like uh i think it i think it needs to start in primary well yeah it did start i remember in primary school um they were teaching us about uh composting yeah but even teaching us about composting like as a class issue right i didn't have a garden I live in central London. Like I'm not yeah. gonna. I live in a in an apartment. I don't have a garden, so I'm not gonna be able to compost the way you compost. You yeah. We, no. Yeah. I learned gardening in yeah. uh, in primary school, but I had to ask my mom to buy me pots to put in our balcony. Exactly. And uh, the compost, the uh, you know, when I would compost, I would put it in the plants that we had, and my mom was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. All I wanted to do, all I wanted to do, was grow a grow a sunflower, but I'm ruining my mom's tomatoes. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it. Yeah. Again, like I think it just starts with education and how it can be more inclusive, um, with you know different backgrounds and how we can bring this conversation home. Yeah. and how we can just talk about it more um, bring it up more I think we can all try a little bit harder um, mm. yeah and I thought it, would, it was an interesting topic to come back on I can't wait to talk about this again because I feel like there's just so much when it comes to like the government and conspiring and oh, conspiracy food. theories oh my God, and so much oh. about food so oh. much we can talk about you know me you know when i start talking about that my belly starts to have fire in it i start getting hot palpitations <laughs> i'm ready okay well on that note um as always thank you for listening and i will also link some good pages to follow um a good intersectional uh environmentalist page there's one called the wretched of the earth and there's also intersectional environmentalist or environmentalism.com i need to double check but we'll post yeah i've got um there's i actually wrote a very 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 small piece for my masters um and i came up with some negative externality stuff like that it's literally it's only about six pages long and it's just about um different solutions in the uk what we can do to plastic uh to reduce single-use plastic bags so one of the proposals being like what like a do nothing option one would be um a complete blanket ban on hdpe and ldpe single-use plastic bags by 2030 and my other one was to increase the price of plastic bags from 5p to 50p um Mm. so if anyone's interested in reading that i am more than happy to send it um and i think that it's important to kind of read about what other countries are doing and what other nations are doing because obviously something's working over there that ain't working over here exactly they're doing something right yeah all right well thank you guys thanks guys bye bye